Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Good to see all of you. It's always good to be uh, here with you. Um, Welcome to New City Matthews. Uh, My name is Nick Schreiber. I'm the the care pastor uh, here at New City, and it's it's always a privilege whenever I get to uh, get to open up God's Word, preach God's Word to God's people. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. We as a church have been walking through the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 5. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can start turning there. If you have, have it on your phone, start clicking there. Um, and you can even pull up sermon notes on our New City app if you'd, if you'd like to do that too. Hey, how was your, your week after Easter? Was it all right? Man, last week was amazing, um, but, but I know that I hit the ground running, running this week, and I, and I asked that question, how was your week, your week after Easter, because, because I was thinking about this this week, how, how often I, I get to Easter, and I, and I treat it like it's something that marks the ending of something and not the beginning of something, and I, I get why we do that, Lent and the, the six weeks and, and so forth, um, but I found that I found I found that a little bit cha- like I was I was convicted by that because uh, because at times I can look at it and go man that was fun that was great that season's ended it's done but in essence I think theologically um, historically even spiritually um, the resurrection wasn't the end it was the beginning it was the pivot point it was the event that changed everything and from which we hopefully would ask all right Lord how do I then live. Because of what you've done, because of, of uh, you raising from the dead, because as we talk about this series, how we live, I feel like it'd be remiss right now. We're so close to celebrating and remembering to go, this is why we live this way. Because just as Jesus is the only one that we trust that can save us from the grave, as we learned last week, I also believe that Jesus is the only one we should trust to lead us in our life. So the question for us today is, who are you trusting to lead you in your life? There's a lot of voices out there trying to lead us from our family to our friends to media uh, to philosophies, telling us that, hey, this is, this is it. This is how to live. This is the good life. This is the right life. And every day and every moment, we're faced with decisions. How am I going to live? Who am I going to be? Who are you trusting to lead you in your life? Hey, before I go any further, would you pray with me? Let's bow and just give the Lord this time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for um, the space, for for allowing us to be here. May we not take it for granted. Would you guide me? Would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you challenge us? And would you remind us of what you've done for us and your love? We love you, and we thank you so much. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the greatest feelings, uh, one of the greatest feelings in the world is when I get to cross off a task off my to-do list. And I, I treat it like this moment where I take that pen, I get to draw that glorious line through the task. Now, maybe you might be a, a check marker, you might do the check box, but still it's that liberating check next to that thing saying, I did it, it's done, it's accomplished, it's an amazing feeling. Now, I also know that by me saying this, I've probably cut this room in half. There's probably 50% of you out there that are like, I hate lists. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I love lists, and they keep me on track. And, and, and there's all kinds of lists. There's to-do lists. There's grocery lists. There's bucket lists. There's best of lists. And they give me a sense of direction. They help me remember things. But I am curious, though. Do you think that there's any negatives to lists? 
Now, despite my love for them, I, I do think there, there probably are some. I can live so focused on the completion of the task that, that I might fail to be present when an interruption comes. Or I can, I can be doing those things, and honestly, I can forget probably the larger picture because I'm so focused on getting the thing done, getting the thing done. Or if I don't accomplish what's on the list, I could feel like, you know what, I wasn't successful. If you ever ask somebody, hey, how, how was your day? And they say, it was good. I didn't get a lot done. I didn't get to my list. And sometimes we start to define our success or we, just, we start to define our effectiveness by our efficiency or by our doing. Now, there's a spiritual parallel here, so hang on. And, and I, one type of list that I failed to mention is what's called as the virtue and vice list. Church history has given us some. You might, you might recognize these, the four cardinal virtues or the, the seven deadly sins. Philosophers have given us some. Aristotle and Plato, they gave us theirs. But more import, importantly, Scripture has given us some. The Ten Commandments, the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the flesh, and in our section this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, we're right in one of those sections that's very listy, where Paul is laying out a handful of things for us to live, where our, where our initial impulses might be for us to create the list, or to run ourselves, or maybe others through the grid. Now, I will say, I will say that there's more significance to these imperatives that you read in these passages than just do's and don'ts. There's intention behind them. There's love. There's protection. There's life. The Lord is wanting to shepherd us in the right direction to not only, to not only give us eternal life, to point us to what the abundant life is. And, and I'll say this, that whether or not you're in this room and you're a list person, I do think that we all have this innate propensity, if we're not careful, to start to measure ourselves by lists, by grades and the merits. And we're prone to attach our identity um, and our success or our value to our actions. Did I do good or did I do bad? Am I worthy or am I unworthy? Does God love me or is he disappointed in me? And I, and I know that I'll speak from, I've been there multiple times. And, and sometimes I still, my, my heart still creeps back there. But in approaching passages like this, um, that's the wrong angle to approach them through. Because, because the angle, the lens from which we see them is not from just to do's or to don'ts. It's this grand picture that we'll see here that flows from who we are now in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, um, or if you want to follow along on the screen, I'd love for us to read the passage, and once you stand with me, and you follow along as I read it to us. Here's the word of the Lord, Ephesians 5, we'll read verses 1 through 14. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thanksgiving to God. You can be sure that no immoral or impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right 
and true, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light, the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, let sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you his light. Hey, you guys can be seated. Thank you so much. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Light and darkness. You probably noticed that's a giant theme in our passage this morning. And you probably noticed what I mean by that vice and virtue list. This passage can be broken down into two main sections, verses 3 through 7. Uh, summarily is this, this idea of how not to live and gives us the context of darkness. And then verses 8 through 14, how to live, and points us to the context of the light. But here's what I want to highlight right out of the gate. I want you to see how Paul undergirds this section, how he undergirds this whole how we live section with statements of identity, because Paul knows that how we live flows out of who we are. How we live flows from who we are. That's the angle that we approach these. And, and he lays into this passage these three amazing truths about who you and I are as Christ followers. If you notice verses one and two, you'll see that we are dearly loved children. That's who we're declared to be. And I believe that the whole passage flows from verses one to two into this section. We're dearly loved children. God, if you remember, hasn't invited us into a religion. He's invited us into a family. And, and just, just, just as a loving father, hopefully we can imagine the lengths that, that our loving God would go to protect us and to teach us and to, and to, and to lead us. Verse 3, he qualifies that whole verse with this, this, this statement of, you're his people. The ESV uses the word saints. As Christians, we're saints, which really means set apart one. So we, were, we have been taken from one place and placed in another and called to be now set apart. And in verse 8, the passage says, and we now have light from the Lord. But even digging deeper into that verse, it's more about a statement of identity. It's not about something just that you've been given, but something that you now are. You were darkness, and now you are light in Christ. We're dearly beloved children, we're saints, and we're light. The more we see and understand these statements, the more we see this passage and passages like it from the angle that, we're, that we were intended to see them from, from the angle of love children placed in a family. And most families, most healthy families, they have family rules, or they have, they have rules that protect and guide and teach. I remember when I have four kids, and when, when our kids were younger, I remember those baby gates that I'd put up, right? I'd go, hey, don't climb the stairs, and don't go here, and don't go in the kitchen. And we would, we would place these baby gates around them. And as they get older, what do I teach them about? I teach them about so many things, but you think about, hey, don't cross the street without looking both ways. You go, this, you, go, you go over here, and you're, it's danger. And I believe that the Lord, how much more is God doing that for us? Because I did that out of love, and God is doing that for us out of love. And passages like this, we have to see it that way. But not only is this about his love for me, but now I live from that love. Because I know I'm loved, I now live and obey as a loved person, not as a person trying to earn his love, He's already given it to me. As a Christ follower, I, I understand. He's made me, he's taken me from death to life. And he said to me, you are now my child, and I'm your father. And so now my obedience is motivated by knowing I'm loved, not by trying to earn his love. 
And what a sense of security that is. It's a radical shift. We're having to try to earn it, prove it, get it, say, no, it's yours. But now live from it. So in this section, you know, Christ makes us new. He's calling us to something. He says, you're mine, and now I want to teach you how to live. And this brings us to this first section, verses 3 through 7. Paul points us in this direction. He says, now leave behind those practices that no longer belong to us. Leave behind those practices that no longer belong to us. And you see them there in verse, in verse 3 where he says, namely, leave behind sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. <laughs> All right. So the sermon just gets a little deeper here. Um, but look, sexual morality. It's any sexual activity outside the confines of its design and God-given purpose. Namely, it's any sexual activity outside the confines of biblical marriage that we see in Scripture. And because God's design for sex is to be between one man and one woman within the confines of marriage, this, this, this phrase, this word, this call addresses topics like, hey, sex before marriage, adultery, homosexuality, and even strikes the topic of pornography. And we see this is also evidenced by that second word that's closely connected to the first, impurity, which really is just this really broad word for all types of sexual lust and practices. Now, listen, I know there's a lot here. We could spend days talking about this. And honestly, I wrote the sermon twice, trying to think, how much do I say and not say and all these different things? But here's what I want you to know. Sometimes we, as, as in the church, we think, man, shh, don't talk about sex. It's dirty. God doesn't like it. And I'd say that's the, the, the farthest thing from the truth. God invented sex. God created it. God designed it. God, God gave it to us as a gift, and he declared it good. But because God is the creator and God is the designer, he has the ultimate authority to define and to prescribe the purposes for which he created it. He gets to tell us why he created it. He gets to prescribe the function, the right function for it. And as somebody said that the, the designer is also gets to be the definer. And his design for sex is for, the, is for within the confines of marriage. He places it in marriage because marriage ideally is framed around covenant and promise and self-giving love. And sex is a gift that brings intimacy and life to a marriage. But also in creating it, he, placed safe, he places safeguards around it because God knows that when sex is misused, that's when people often get that's when people will get hurt. But now you jump back in and you go, all right, sexual morality, impurity, greed, that unrestrained desire for more, more, more. More food, more money, more, more pleasure, more, more property, more material things, more sex. I mean, the list can keep going on and on and on. Other versions might actually say the word covetousness, so that, that inward craving of the heart. Now, whenever we get to a, a section like this, it is sometimes good for us to ask the question, why does Paul give us these three? Why does he start here? What, what's the, what is he doing? And I, I, think it's, I think it's because this, they're related to each other. They're linked. And here's how. They're all focused on self. They all flow from self. What I, what I want, what I feel, it's about me. Sexual, sexual immorality is more this outward manifestation of sin and self. And then you have greed, which reveals this inner spring of self and craving. But they're all about this idea of self-indulgency, self-worship, and, and namely, they're destructive. 
They're destructive to, to you and me. They're destructive to community. And so you can see why Paul is writing, because he's writing to the church there. And he's saying, he's, and he just came out of this section where he says, listen, I want to call you to imitate God as dearly loved children and to walk in love. That's how you're to live. But remember what love is. Love is self-sacrificing. Love puts others first. Love protects. Love honors. And lust is about getting. It's about taking. And so I'm calling you to love. It's incredible how, if you look at this section, verses 3 and 4, how Paul continues to, to kind of keep this link going into verse 4 with, with even how he touches on filthy speech. Because the way I'm picturing his mind is going like this. Or he directs us from sexual sin to, to the inner spring of greed, which is this, draws us to our heart where it flows from. But then he stays there in our heart because, because he knows that our speech has an inner spring as well. Because what does Jesus teach us about our words? Out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so our speech is tied to our hearts. And where these, where's the, where these uh, verse 3 practices are present, then filthy speech usually accompanies. And Paul says, hey, have no part in them. They no longer belong to you. Leave these practices of the world and the culture behind. Look, these things were really prevalent then. They're really prevalent now. This is a super relevant topic because of that. But, but he's saying, but, not, but have them not be so with you as God's people. Now, if you're looking at the passage, verse 4 does something interesting. What's the antidote? What's the counter that Paul gives to sexual sin and greed and filthy speech? It's Thanksgiving, which, which, which in some sense, it sounds like kind of a little mysterious, a little bit too simplistic. Like, this be thankful but here's what's going on. Well, first, I think thanksgiving is to be the language of God's people. So that's one thing. But thanksgiving is connected to this because thanksgiving is connected to contentment. Thanksgiving is connected to being grateful to, to God for what he's given to us. It flows from recognizing God's generosity and God's goodness. And so when I look at how he's created, when I look at what he's designed, when I look at what he's called me to and the life that I now have, I can go, I'm going to live out of that because there's praise and thanksgiving is the starting point. But also think about this, that, that the root of greed and sexual morality is kind of the opposite. It's, it's out of self. It's out of I need or I don't have or this should be, I want to chase this. And and the root of thanksgiving is, the op, is, is, is this idea of gentle or gratefulness. So if you're struggling with this area or these areas, a great starting point is, God, would you, God, would you help me be grateful and just be thankful and be content and just, God, trust you in all these things? Now, before we jump into the next section, let me just say and point out a few things. First, I think what's happening in this, this first section is, Paul, the, or the Lord, the Lord, I should say, is, is pointing us to something greater. He's naming these things and then pointing us to, to that which he says, but I have something for you. He's going to help us with it, but he's, he loves us too much to leave us alone. And he loves us so much that he's going to point out what's evil and what's, and what's sin. And part of trusting him in, in our lives is trusting him with what he says here. But second, I would say this, if you're sitting in this room and you're running yourself through the list and you're feeling the weight of sin or your past, please know this, all of us, all of us in this room have made mistakes in these areas. All of us in this room 
um, have struggled in these areas. I mean, no one, none of us are immune. I mean, you talk about from stuff that, that, that from sexual morality and purity to greed. I mean, greed is in our heart. We, I mean, all of us have struggled in this area. None of us would be here if we didn't. That's why we call, the, that's why we turn to Christ. But then the question is, well, what about verses five and six? Those are the trickiest verses in this whole section. If you have a copy, you can look at it. I mean, those are, those are but here's what they're doing. They're not, un, they're not undoing what Paul has already laid out in the whole first four chapters of this book, right? You can read those and go, wait, wait a second. Wait, if I do these things, and that's not what's happening here because Paul's already said we're saved by grace through faith. It's not by our works. It's a gift from God that as Christians, you've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You have an inheritance. You're mine. You're adopted. All these things. So what's, he, what's happening I think Paul is pointing their eyes as Christians. He's pointing their eyes out. He's saying, I want you to look around to the surrounding world, to those who don't believe, to those who aren't in the kingdom. And I, and I, and I, want, to serve, I want you to survey what they worship. Because there's this key word, their covetousness, and they worship the things of this world. And, and it's, it's not so much about him pointing out the different practices, but them pointing out they're, they're, they're immoral in their hearts still. They, these people are apart from Christ. They worship and live by these things. And so there definitely is a weightiness when you come to passages like that. There's definitely a seriousness of, this, of our sin that we see there. But what he's doing in it is he's not saying, hey, if you've done this, you can't be in the kingdom. Or if you've done this, you can't come back to the kingdom. Or, or if this is, he's not saying that, but he's saying this. He's shown us that, that why we can't live there any longer. Your master is now Jesus. Your master is not him. He's your Lord, so live for him. And I want you to show you how to live. And so I want you to leave these things, and this moves us to the second section, and now live as people of light. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord, so live as people of light. A mighty change has occurred in our hearts, in your nature. You were darkness, but now you are light, and we live according to who we are now, not according to who we once were and so now we live out from that light that's incredible i mean think about it that jesus describes himself as what the true light the light of the world he who was in the beginning creating light by his word who lives in light now in is light he now lives in us and he makes us light because of him in us and light comes in he comes into our hearts and starts to do its work it starts to change us from the inside out and what does it do? What does light do? And the passage gives us a few things. Light produces. Light produces fruit, only what is good, right, and true. And it's similar to what you see in the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the, his Spirit comes in, love, joy, peace, patience. And so you see that same image here. Because of his presence in our life, he starts to produce things. Just as the sun gives light to plants and they begin to grow and produce fruit, likewise, Son, the Christ light begins to produce in us. What does that mean, produce what is good and right and true? Well, I think it means that I begin to want those things. He begins to change my, my affections and my cravings. He begins to change my, my desires. He, I begin to want what he wants because he's good, he's right, he's true, and I want to I live like him. I want to live by him. I want to live in him. It also means that I begin to understand those things. 
There was a time when I didn't understand. There was a time when I was blind. There was a time when I, I would read scripture and it didn't make sense, but, but now the light is breaking in and I start to understand. Light brings clarity and light brings understanding. It also means that I begin to live these things out, that I now pursue the things that are good. I want to bring good into the world because it shines him, and I have this growing conviction of this growing resolve around what's right and what's true, and I want to be a person of truth, and I want to live out authentically because I want, people to be, I want my life to be a display of these things. So light produces, but it not only produces, it exposes. You see that in verse 11. The image that comes to mind here is that of curtains being thrown open, the rays of light blasting in, and you begin to see those dust particles and the cobwebs that were now hiding and now are exposed. And Paul says, allow the light to do what it does. Allow it to expose those things. Sin loves darkness, but light expels it. And he calls us to start exposing it. Now, now verse 11 is not about, hey, expose the sin in other people. Expose it. It's not saying that. It's saying, no, start with your light. The light is in you. Start to expose it. Allow the Lord to work in you. I mean, we're works in progress, and so his light is there, but keep shining it. Keep allowing it. Keep bringing those, those things that might be are, are in the darker places. Bring them out. Bring them to the Lord. And so for some, it could be maybe we're carrying shame still from our past. The Lord has already forgiven. The Lord wants to help you with but we just are holding on to it. Allow the light to shine on it and expose it. Maybe it's sin. The Lord's calling you, hey, hey, shine the light on it. Bring it out. Sometimes the best way to do that, to get, to get sin out of the darkness, is to talk about it, to talk to the Lord about it, to confess it, to talk to trusted friends about it, because, man, when you shed light on it, it starts to flee. And it's the first steps to transformation into freedom. Which actually leads me to the second thing. So light exposes and light transforms. This is the third thing I should say. Lastly, light not only exposes, it also transforms. Everything light touches is impacted in some way by the light. And I think that this is what the last two verses of the passage are doing. They're showing us the power of the light to break into darkness, to make everything visible, and to bring transformation. As, and as a Christ follower in this room, we've seen God do that in our lives. We're testimonies of the fact that it's possible for Christ's light to turn the thing it shines on into light also, because we are now light. Christ's light does that. Everything that light touches, it has the power to transform. So think about it. Light transforms our hearts. Light transforms our obedience. Light transforms areas. You bring a light into an area. You think about like, like when street lamps are put into certain areas of city, crime, this or, 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 or diminishes. A lighthouse changes that area. But light also transforms our hopes. If you've been trapped in a dark place, you've been walking through a dark spot, and you see, see the, just the, the simplest of lights, and it pierces the darkness, and it changes your hopes. You go, that's it. That's where I'm going. I was thinking about this illustration this week. I was thinking about how just like a little stroke of color when somebody's painting on a dark canvas, just a little stroke of color or a light can transform the whole thing. And so it, it reminded me of Vincent Van Gogh's famous, draw, famous painting, um, uh, The Starry Night, as you would recognize. Now, again, this, I, actually, I actually modified it here. So some of you might recognize that's not it, actually. 
Um, because I started to think, what if, what if the starry night was just a dark night? What would that do to the picture? And so it makes it a lot more scary. I mean, it makes it obviously darker. It makes it more gloomy. It makes it more hopeless. Your eyes don't know where to go. What am I looking at? But when light breaks in, your eyes start to be drawn to the light. It transforms the painting. It transforms the mood. It, trans- it transforms your attraction to it. Because there's now this level of like, man, in the midst of what's going on in the, in the town or in that valley or whatever, there's light, there's hope. And I believe that in these last verses, there's this appeal to us to live as light because the Lord wants to see that your light is that that breaks in. Christ wants you to live as children of light to bring the light with you so that people that are lost or stumbling or who need a refuge or who need truth, hey, that's what light is. Light helps people see and it guides and it brings truth. Would you be that light? So live as children of light. And we're called as Christians to go into the darkness, not to become darkness, but to go into the darkness because of what we can see that it does. As I come to the close this morning, I want to end where our passage ends in verse 14. Remember at the very beginning this morning, I began by drawing us back to the resurrection and the significance of Christ being raised from the dead. Well, verse 14 is an allusion to our own resurrection. So if you look at this verse, it says, For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. That phrase at the very end, that quote, Awake, O sleeper, this is a reference to your and my tomb experience. This is, that's you and I as a dead person. And what, and what happens in this passage, I mean, this, I mean you, can, you can picture it almost, where who's the one speaking there? It's Jesus. He speaks to you. He works resurrection in you. He calls your dead spirit and my dead spirit to receive breath and to receive life. And, and what does he give us? He gives us light. Last week, Rodney, um, and in his message, talked about how Christianity is not about religion, it's, it's not about improvement, but it's about dead people being made alive. And that really is it. And you see it here, dead person being made alive. And, and so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't my list. It, it isn't your, your goodness or your badness that, that makes you whether or not you're good or not, or, or alive or not alive. It's not my list that makes It's Christ and his grace and his voice. And it's from the new life. It's from now being loved that I live. And I live as a love person. I want others to know his light because of what he's done. And Paul's calling us there. This book is calling us as a church, hey, to, to allow his light to shine on you, but to live out his light in community and into our world. So who are we trusting to lead us in our life? I, I pray, I want for myself and I pray for you, I want Jesus to lead me. Because as we live as he wants us to live, we will shine him to the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that as we sit and we reflect this idea of light, of leaving, of living, resurrection, I pray that you would, God, draw us again to this desire to, to live for you because of we're in awe of your grace and we're in awe of you and we're in awe of what you're calling us to relationship and eternity and getting to be about your purposes 
We love you. We pray all these things in Christ's name.